taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. It is always good. I'll say before you're... Before you're seated, just turn to somebody to your right or left and say, hey, it's good to sit by you. If they're sleepy, wake them up. If they're cold, you know, give them a hug, whatever they need, and then you can be seated today. This is your first or second time at Journey at all of our campuses. Uh, we just want to welcome you. Uh, welcome you here. Uh, just, this is just anytime you come to church for the very first time, or maybe you're back again, uh, we consider it a privilege and an honor. Uh, I'm grateful to have to you. I believe God's word is powerful and life-changing, has the ability to impact people's lives and, and change them forever. And so uh, we started about five weeks ago. This is our last week of a series that we said, let's, let's start the new year off and let's talk about time. Uh, we called it Live in the Wow. And I said, let me, let me establish for you the significance of time. Time is, is both precious and priceless. Uh, you have to spend it. You don't get to save it. And so it's going away right now. And you can invest it or you can waste it. And so our hope reevaluated our lives over the last few weeks. And we said, hey, we want to spend our time more, more wisely. A few weeks back, we said, let's talk about season. Some of you not in a season that you like. Some of you in a season where you are enjoying it and you never want it to end. And I said, listen, life is about seasons. Every season is good all the time and all the time God is good. And so I talk spiritually about what you can expect in different seasons and what God is trying to teach you. After that, we said, let's talk about taking a chance. Let's talk about stepping out in big time faith. Let's, let's understand that they're going to say, I wish I had, or I'm glad that I did. I wish I had tried this, or I'm glad that I did step out and attempt this, even if it fails. Like, I'm glad that I, that I tried this. And last week, uh, Jordan, he, he, he talked a week number four about living for eternity, spending and investing your time in things that are going to matter uh, in the next part of our lives, in, in eternity. And today I want to end our series. I want to talk to you on the topic of making peace. Uh, I want to encourage you uh, to make peace in your life. We started the first week with this Bible verse. It's in your notes because I just brought it back in at the end of the week. But I want to read it to you to refresh your mind of what, what the Bible says in Ephesians 5. He says, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise. That's what we have tempted to do. I want you to live as a wise person. Watch what the Bible says. Most of every opportunity because the days are evil. When we say, hey, life goes really fast. I can't believe this is already over. You know, I blinked and my kids are now 12 or I blinked and my kids are 18. You know, I should have taken advantage. I don't want to live my life with regret. Why? The days are evil. And so what are we going to do? We're going to make the most of every opportunity. And here's what I know if I'm going to speak on those terms today. Uh, with you. Many of us are allowing present opportunities to be stolen from us because of obstacles from our past. We're, we're allowing opportunities given in the present uh, to be taken from us and stolen from us because of obstacles fr from our past. I tried to think of how I could explain this to you, and I, I started thinking about a road trip. Anybody ever been on a good road trip here? Just put your hand up. I want you to pre I want first service and boring, and so you guys got to be extra laughy at my jokes and interactive, right? And so, been on a road trip, right? When I was a kid, we went on a few road trips. We used to go to, to Florida every, every couple years to go to Disney World. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Like, there was one time, and I, I, when I think about it, one time we took a minivan. We borrowed somebody's minivan, and they took all the back seats of the minivan out, and, and we just slept the entire time. And then sometimes when we woke up, we just wrestled on the way down uh, to, to, to Disney World. Like, I'm pretty sure it's illegal. Like, today you have to strap your kids in, strap them into the strap that they're in, and again and then give them a mouthpiece and that's how they go in the car maybe a helmet right but like in my day and age if the doors were locked and sometimes they weren't even locked you were cool like you could roll around wrestle do whatever you needed to do we didn't have tv back then and so we had to be creative remember that time remember another time my parents woke me up middle of the night and uh we had a Taurus you guys remember a Ford Taurus like every every kid their parents at some point owned a Taurus my dad was a pastor so we had a maroon Taurus all pastors had a maroon Taurus it's like it's like a neutral color it's not too flashy and so so maroon car if you have a maroon car now no offense that's probably one of the worst color cars in the world and so like but it was a maroon maroon Taurus and I remember uh in the back seat that one time they made bunk beds road trip bunk beds and what I mean is the top the top the bench seat became a bed 
you know, the seat kind of dips down and comes back up and dips down. They, they filled that with pillows and whatnot, and they laid a blanket on top. And literally, for, the, for most of the trip down there through the night, me and my brother slept on, on homemade bunk beds in the back of my mom and dad's Ford Taurus. Once, once again, today, but back in the 90s and the, or in the late 80s, completely okay because it was way better then. And so, like, it was just a normal time. So we went down there, and I remember... There's things from that trip, and there's things that I would look forward to every year on that trip that I wanted to see. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Wake up, middle of the night, time to go to the bathroom, and you would be, you know, a couple hundred miles into your trip, and you would start seeing these signs for this thing called South of the Border. You ever been down to Florida? Like, it would be like 200 miles away, and it would say 200 miles, there would be a guy in like a sombrero, and he would say, South of the Border be a cactus south of the border. And literally you were 200 miles away. I don't know if you ever been there when you were a kid, but when you got there where you're like, really? Like that's south of the border. But for me, it was always like, okay, we're getting close to what? Disney World. Eventually you would get down pull up and you would begin to drive into Orlando and maybe you would drive past the, the water tower with the, the Mickey ears and you would go, okay, we're getting close to Disney World. And there was all sorts of cool things to see on the way down to the trip. And here's what I thought. It would be like me at that time, things to see and we were going to Disney World, spending my entire trip with my face smashed up against the back of the, the window and going, I can't take my eyes off of Boyertown. Like, I just want to look at border. My parents say, here comes south the border. No, 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 no. I want to I wanna go back to the bear land. I want to go back to Seville land. I want to go back to, to the dump. Like, if you don't know what the dump is, you weren't from Boyertown, Apple Dump. I want to go back there. And then you get to Disney World, and you're like, you're like yeah, look, son, it's, it's Mickey. And we spent, literally, I sold my kidney to bring you here and look. And we go, no, 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 I want to go, want to go back to Boyertown Element and just keep in my face planted in the entire trip, just saying, I'm not going to look forward because I won't take my eyes off of what I've come from. I want to stay looking there. My parents would go, man, you're missing out on the whole trip. And I think God was, you, you, he's taking you on a journey. He, he, he's bringing you to, to new landmarks. He's bringing new opportunities for you to open up your eyes and see the incredible things he wants to do in and through your life. And some of you have your face squished against the back of the towards the back and wondering, God, what happened there? Feeling guilty for what you did there. Uh, being angry for what somebody said to you. Being bitter. You're living in the past and your past is stealing from you your, your future. And so what I did is I, I did a little bit of research and I thought, man, show you this in scripture. And so what I, what, I, what, I, what I landed in is a book of Philippians chapter three. And the reason that I love this, this book uh, is, is because the guy who writes it, he writes it from prison. He, he's a missionary. He's been locked up against his will. He was preaching about Jesus Christ. He's facing death and persecution. And uh, he's gone through a lot of ups and downs in his life. And he has a past. We're going to talk about that here today. And he writes one of, when I was growing up, if you were in youth group, and if you don't know what youth group is, you know, for some of us, we know what youth group was. Like, this was a message you heard in youth group all the time. Like, this is a message, this is one of the most, like, this is what they put on a coffee mug. Like, this is, this is bumper sticker material Bible stuff. Like, there's some stuff in the Bible you're just not going to put on a bumper sticker, like the whole book of Leviticus. But like this right here, Christian t-shirt, remember, like this is, this is Christian t-shirt material. This is song material. Like if you're going to write a worship song, you go to this passage right here. Philippians chapter three says this, brothers and sisters, verse number 13. I don't consider myself yet to have taken, what does he say? I don't got it all together. That's important, by the way. That's important if you're, a, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would hear me say that to you and you would know that the person sitting beside you, even though they might claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, doesn't have it all together. On the way here with their spouse, just like you did a good shot, they said a curse word at some point today. There's, there's a good shot that they messed up this week. There's a good shot that they said something they shouldn't have said. There's a good shot they reacted to one of their kids in a way that wasn't patient and kind and loving, and they don't have it guy right here, if somebody has the ability to say they have it all together, it's him, by the way. This dude was all that and a bag of chips compared to us. Like this guy, this guy had it going on. Like this guy was starting churches. This guy was, was famous for, for preaching. Like had it going on. God had used his life in miraculous ways, ways that we have not yet seen since then. Like he did some incredible things and he wants us to know in Philippians chapter three, verse number 13 from a Roman prison. Hey, I don't consider myself, I don't think I have it all together, he says. But one thing I do, here, here's the one thing that I do as I'm, as I'm following Christ. He says, I forget what is behind me 
And, it, and I love this word. It's a, it's a running word. And I don't know anything about this because I hate running. But the Bible says, towards what is ahead. He doesn't say, I, I forget what is, what, what's past and I go towards what, and I just kind of do, do, do. He says, I strain. I put myself in a race and it's almost unbearable at times. There, there's, there's, there's a temptation for me to go backwards. There's a temptation to give up. Sometimes I look towards the finish line and I'm like, woo, that's like 30 more miles ahead. I can't do it. Like, I just want to quit. I want to call Uber to get me there. Like, I strain towards what is ahead and I forget what is behind me. I press on towards the goal to win the Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, my God. Like, I want to share with you some things that I think that he would have said, here's areas of my life that as I, I forget the past and strain towards the future that I've had. Some of you, you you're having your peace stolen by, by things in, in, your, in the rearview mirror and you're missing present oppor- opportunities. They're obstacles. Let me just give you three obstacles that you'll need to make peace with. Number one is this, is I think you're going to need to make peace you're going to need to make peace with, with, with your past. The, the things you've done that nobody maybe knows are the things you've done that everybody knows. The times you've messed up and everybody thinks you're going to always be a mess up. The, the things that you've done, so, uh, you feel so worthless and so unlovable and, 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 and so unworthy and it makes you feel so inadequate. Like there's areas in your life, if you don't have this, you probably are still in this, by the way. But, but for those of us who have been saved by Christ, like, and we have things that we look at and we go, mm. like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm over that. I don't know if it's okay. I don't know if God like, loves me because of that. And Paul would have understood that. See, what you don't understand about Paul, if you're not a Bible person, he had a past. past. In fact, if you read the story of Paul, you'll find out that his name was once Saul. He didn't start off as Paul. He started off as, as Saul. And Saul just sounds evil. Sorry if you're a Saul, but it just sounds like, like you're, you're going to kick butt, take names. And so Saul was actually a murderer. And at one point in his life, before, before he wrote this, he, had, he hated Christians. He hated what they stood for. He hated how they worshiped. He hated that they claimed that Jesus was God. Like to him, that was sacrilegious. That was heresy. Like he, he hated the fact that they said Jesus rose from the dead. He hated everything about the Christians so much that he was the one who orchestrated the first person getting killed for being a follower of Jesus Christ. His name was Stephen. The Bible says, if you read the story of Stephen, that Paul, a young man, a young leader, held the coats of the people as he encouraged them to stone a young man named Stephen. He has a past. Right after that, he, he, he's a part of this. He goes to the religious leaders and he says, hey, uh, would you give me a warrant to arrest? I want to be dog the bounty hunter, right? And I'm going to go out and I'm going to make arrest. I'm going to persecute, destroy. I'm going to wipe out this movement of Christ if you would give me permission. And so they give him permission to go out and destroy and persecute and wreck. And that's where his life changes. His life doesn't change when he's at church. Isn't that cool? Like his life, he doesn't go, God, I'm sorry. He's not sorry at all. In fact, he's on his way to murder people. And Jesus steps into his life and says, I'm done with that. You're going to be my missionary. I mean, of all the people in all the world to want to use to be his first missionary to start churches and places where they had never heard the gospel of Jesus, Saul, the murderer. Think about that. We oftentimes think about God. Who's he going to use? He's going to use the religiously educated. He's going to use the upstanding. He's going to use those that wear khakis and, you know, and Dexters. And he's not going to use people that wear tattoos, wear wear, have tattoos this and he can't do that and you have to have grown up and have pedigree to be used by God and Jesus says or God says you know what I'm gonna build the greatest message in this world I'm gonna build it with this guy a murderer and here's the thing about Paul even even though Jesus changed his life do you think it was easy for him to forget the images of Stephen in his head like there's some things you just can't unsee are you with me like they stoned him. So we won't understand that because it's like, but they picked, they picked up rocks and they pegged him with rocks until he died. No swords, no bow and arrow, no gun, no knife, rocks. A slow, painful, tedious death where you don't know where their shots are. You don't think with me if we could, that Paul was standing there looking at Stephen. He doesn't remember that one rock hitting him. I don't know where it hit him, but I'm assuming at some point a rock probably hit him in the head and blood just started to drip. He doesn't, he wasn't able to forget maybe that moment where Stephen was standing on his knees and he's convulsing. 
Maybe that moment where that person took that last rock and hit Stephen in the heart, the one that stopped his heart, that moment where his spirit passed from this life to the next, the moment where he even cries out into your hands, you know, I commit you, I trust you, I see at the right hand of God, forgive these people. Like he has never in this moment forgotten that. He has probably struggled with, with his inadequacy. Like, why did you use me? Like I was on the road to, ki- to kill you. Like I wasn't one of I didn't believe that you rose from the dead. I was on the road to persecute you and destroy you. And God, I don't feel like I'm worthy. I don't feel like I'm valuable. And I don't feel like I'm adequate. There should, there should be somebody else that you could use. And so it was so interesting when he wrote in the book of Timothy, Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, when he says this, and I love this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Watch what he says. Of whom I am the worst. You think he in his past? He says, Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And I got to tell you, knowing what I did to Stephen, knowing what I did to the early church, I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense power for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, in my life, I had a past, and that past was used to show me how patient that God is with me. See, I think some of you are struggling with, with your past today. I think you have I think you've had some failures in your life. I think you've had some things that you feel condemned about. You feel this voice that tells you there's, there's no way out. And I just want you to understand something significant about God when it comes to your past. Just a couple of significant statements that maybe if you're feeling ashamed or over insecure or inadequate that you should write down. And let me just give you just a couple concrete statements about your past. Number one is this, is God does not want you to dwell on your past. That is not a healthy place to have a relationship with God in. You come in here, you come in here where feeling unrighteous and you come in here feeling like you're not worthy and you come in here feeling like you didn't do enough. Listen, you will never do enough. Jesus did it all. That's why Jesus said it is finished. You're not going to have to have this religious experience where when you serve out of obligation, not because you're excited about what God has done in your life and you want him to do and reach other people through your life and you give out of obligation and you even attend today out of obligation and you sing out of obligation and you do so because you're dwelling. You're going, have I done enough? Have, have you seen me enough in church? Are we cool, big guy? He said, I don't want you to dwell on your past. Let me just give you something else. I don't want you to repay your debt. You, you, you can't. How do you murder in somebody? How do you do enough good to fix that, that wrong? How do you pay off that, that abuse? How do you pay off that addiction? How do you pay off that neglect of your kid? How do you pay off that mistake in, in your life? You can't. You can spend the rest of your life trying to make things right, and the only one that can make things right is the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who controls past, present, and future. His name's Jesus. He is the only one in control, and God does not expect you to repay his debt. In fact, in Ephesians 2, for it's by what? Everybody say it. Three people said it. Some of you don't get it. Like, you still think, no, 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 it's by works. Like, I grew up Catholic, and there's certain things they want me to do to get in. Listen, that's garbage. Just Maybe you just need to read a different Bible. Like, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This is what everybody say, a gift. A gift from God. And watch what he says. Not by works so that no one can boast. He doesn't want me to That's cool. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. Come on, you're not anyways. I've often said this in church, but I need you to comprehend this and understand this. Is you can't let God down because you're never holding him up in the first place. He doesn't expect you expect you to repay your debt. doesn't expect you to dwell on it. Here's the best one for you. He doesn't expect you to clean up your situation. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you try to clean it up and you only made it worse. You ever been there? I think it's funny. I'm going to tell a story because tomorrow we're going to do marriage counseling. Couples, and so maybe you're going to rethink coming since I'm doing marriage counseling. But I've had my times in my marriage. I've been married for 16, 17 years, something like that. I don't know how long. It's been the best years of my life, though. <laughs> Flown by every moment. It's been wonderful, right? Like it's been perfect, never fought. But marriage we had some problems we had some issues we had some fights we had some situations we had some regret we said some things we shouldn't have said to each other and listen those have continued there's been times in our life even up to this point where we're like yo we 
I get our act together if we do counseling. Let's fix this, right? Remember when I was early on in my marriage, we had some, some fights, and our typical fights early on in your marriage when you're young and they're immature, and so what do you do when you get in a fight? You tend to just leave, right? And so somebody leaves the house and blah, 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 all this huff and puff goes on. And so one time we got in a certain fight, and Leah decided it was her turn, you know, to leave my turn. She just left the house, get in her car, rode away. And as she got in her car and rode away, I don't even remember what we were fighting about. That's what's so stupid about most of your fights. But we were fighting about this thing. And in the corner of our living room, it was a few weeks after Christmas happened, her mom had bought her a piano, a digital piano. She, I'm not sure why she bought this for her. I think she was trying to be a great pastor's wife. She could play my altar calls, all those things. And so anyway, so she gets this piano and she left. And at that point, I had my, my, my go-to was break something. Like, you, you left, I break, right? A couple times, I, like, broke a picture, or, like, maybe one time I punched a hole in the wall, one time in my life, maybe, and I figured out that's just stupid because I got to fix it, and I'm not handy, and so whole thing's embarrassing when you're a pastor and you're calling somebody, what happened? I might have hit it, and so, like, I got all that stuff. And I haven't done this for years, so this is why I tell you this. And so, but when I was 23 years old, she left, and I took my hand, and I just went, boom, on her piano. Two-week-old piano her mom had bought in her. And I meant to hit like the side of it, but my angry aim was off and I hit right digital screen. And when I hit the digital screen, it was like there was some kind of liquid underneath it. It just just went, you ever have one of those oh crap moments? (laughs) At that point, I'm like, how mad is she? And how much time do I have before she comes home? So in a panic, I go to my garage because I'm 23 years old. And so I have an all-in-one screwdriver at that point. I'm starting to take stuff apart. Like, I'm going to be able to fix this, right? And I'm taking it apart. I take the screen off. I take these other parts off. I get a rag. I wipe down the screen. My plan is I'm going to put the whole thing back together. I'm supposed to turn it on. And the next time I turn it on, we're just going to say something happened. I don't know what happened. I'm not ashamed. I'm not, I'm not half proud of it. But that's where I was at at that point. I was terrified. I'm more, the more that I cleaned it up, the worse that it got. I mean, it just was everything. Then I, I didn't know how to put it back together. And then the garage door. I'm like, oh, no. She comes walking in at that point. She's like, what did you do? I'm like, I, I might have accidentally hit your piano when you left. But it's cool. I'm going to fix it. I mean, at this point, there is, there's pieces of the ivory keys all over the place. There is no fixing this piano. And what I have found is in my life, oftentimes I do the same thing with God. I lose my temper. I will do something I'm not proud of. I, 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 will, I will say something I'm not proud of. What I try, I'm going to clean it up m- myself. And here's what happens when you try to clean up your mess. You just make more of a mess. See, God doesn't ask you to clean up the mess in your past, but you to invite him into it. He asks you to invite him into your mess, invite him into your past, invite him into your pain, invite him into that breaking point in your life, invite him into that shame, invite him into that condemnation where you feel like it can never get better. Just made a mess and I can't clean it up. You need to make peace with, with your past today. And the way you make peace with your past is to receive the one who has an answer from it. His name is Jesus. Number two is this. I think that Paul would have said you need to make peace with your people. Let's just be honest. Your past involves you. You're the one that did it. You're like, sweet. Get out of jail free card, which by the way, you're, you might get, the jail, get, out of G, get out of jail free card. That's a tongue twister, but it costs Jesus everything. Most difficult for us when it comes to our peace is, is people that we've dealt with. Some of them are dead. You, don't even, you can't even see them anymore. Some of them are, have never been there. They haven't been there for years. Some of them, they've walked out a long, long time ago. Some, some of them represent a childhood memory. Somebody that said, some of them are really current. Like you've experienced some level of pain in, in the current. Like you've gone through some, some stuff. And I, I'm going to encourage you uh, that I think Paul would have said, listen, make, make peace with your past, but, but also make, make peace with, with your people. Watch what it says in scripture. 27 says, carrying a log across your shoulders. I want you to get this. So a log. While you're hefting a boulder with your arm, so I don't even know how that's possible. You're going to put something on your shoulders, you're going to balance it, and then you're going to carry a boulder. Watch what it says. It says, with your arms, I mean, that's impossible, by the way, is nothing compared to the burden of putting up with a fool. Let's talk about that physically. Physically, putting something on your shoulders and pushing or carrying a boulder is nothing compared to what it feels like. You have people in your life that you have not made peace with. 
When you have people in your life that you have not released, let's just do an exercise. Can we just put your hand out like this, just right in front of you? Come on, this Pentecostal church, you can do this at least. And so, and then I want you to think about the person you hate. I get it, but you should be mad at them. They hurt you. They said something about you. They stole something from you. They weren't there for you. Think about them. All of us have them. Now, as you think about how much you don't like them, just squeeze. And just pretend. Just squeeze. Go ahead. Squeeze your hand. Just squeeze it hard. When you squeeze, you're squeezing their head. <laughs> I got a couple people. I can just feel it. It just feels right. Like you just, we're not going to sit here and lie like I'm the pastor. You never met anybody? No, that's, not, that's false. And so just pastor. You'll be mad at everybody, right? And so and squeeze your hand and squeeze. Just keep squeezing. Some of you stop. Like if you're doing it right and you're not just, just faking it like you, like you shouldn't be right now, your arm's starting to hurt, right? And it's starting to like shake. Like it'll just, if I had you do this for a couple minutes, like it will literally, it will start to hurt, to lose feeling in your, in, in, your, in, your, in your wrist. And here's the thing about it. Do you think wherever they're at, as long as they're not sitting right beside you, you're not pinching them currently? Do you think this makes too, too different, like a difference in your life at all? Like you think this is a fact. Go for a second. This isn't some voodoo crap, right? It's not like you think about how mad you are at them and they feel it. Like you hold on and you, you bite yourself and they say, ow. Like the truth is, anger, in your hurt, in your offense, in, in your bitterness, the one who is suffering is you, not them. And Paul would tell us, and he understands this certainly because he's in prison right now. And we find out in, 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 in Timothy, which is another letter that he wrote from the same prison cell. We find out his current situation when it comes to his friends. Watch what he says. He says, for Demas, in verse number 10, he, because he loved the world, deserted me and went to Thessalonica. So I had a friend named Demas, and he was too much for him. And then he says, Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Watch what he says. Only Luke is still with me. I have my posse, my bros, my boys, my rat pack. They were with me when we were preaching. We were famous. We were, we were building churches. It was exciting. People were giving up their lives. They were doing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I get thrown in prison. And Demas, my boy, he says, too much. I'm going to go back to the world. And this other dude, we don't really know them much about them, but we know Titus, they leave. He says, only Luke stayed with me. I had a posse. I had my friends. They all just, they all just left me. So Paul writes from a place of experience where he says, I'm going to behind me and I'm going to strain forward towards what is ahead of me. And so I'm going to encourage you. You need to make peace. And some of you are saying, what are you, what are you telling me? Are you telling me what they did to me wasn't wrong? No. Are, are, are you telling me that, that, that parent that abandoned me, that it didn't hurt me? No. Are, are you telling me that it wasn't supposed to scar me at some level and affect me? No. Here's what, here's what I'm telling you. I, I'm telling you to let them go, not because they didn't hurt you, but because you don't want them to hold you. You are allowing them to hold you in the past and not get to where God is supposed to. And wants to take you. I would say it like this. I was an older brother. And so I came up with ways in my life to torture my younger brother when I was a kid. Because I was three and a half years older than him. I was bigger than him for most of my life. It's reverse roles now. And so, uh, but I was bigger than him. So I'm pretty sure he could hold me down now. Uh, but he might kill me because I'm 39 years old. And so I'm kind of fragile now. But uh, I used to hold him down me mad and i had figured out this trick dif dif different tricks different ways to torture him but one of the ways i figured out torture him and i don't know if you guys do this anymore and this was this would be abusive and you would get the police call on you but when i was a kid it was perfectly fine is i got taught and figured out a way to make a loogie in my mouth figured out how to let that loogie come out of my mouth but not come all the way out and hit the ground i could suck it back up in it was legit and so i would hold him down and go and then i would just and it would just come out and it's my little brother, you know, five, six, seven inch away, and I'll go, and I'll, and here was the game. Here was the game. Some of you are so grossed out right now. It's almost lunchtime. Have fun, right? The game was, see how long I can let this go on without dropping it. Face, game was over, right? Like party is done. And so I would just let it down, let it up. And he deserved all of it. He was pain in the butt. He was an instigator. He would run from me. He would tell me. So every once in a while, I would catch him. I would put both knees on his shoulder so he couldn't move. And 
Here's the thing. Some of you, that's the life you live. You think it's gross that I did that to my brother, but Satan does it with you every day. He holds you down. He tortures you with your past. He tortures you with the thought of that person. He tortures you with what they took. He tortures with you with how they did you wrong. He asks you to replay all the conversations in your head. You replay it. You fast forward. You rewind. And meanwhile, you are the only one hurting yourself. It doesn't mean they didn't hurt you. It just means you don't want them to hold you. So here's what I figured out in my people that I need to make peace with is really two things that I, that I stepped into that I began to do is number one is I think you'll get to the point if you work on this where you thank God for them. Thank you God for, for the good and the bad. They were either a step in the right direction or from the wrong direction. They were in my life for a reason. I think you'll get to the point where if you're like me that you will stop saying, God, do you know what type of family that I had? And instead you're going, God, you weren't surprised. See, what I have found in my life is some of my deepest God's way of getting me prepared to do something through my life. Let me give you just an explanation. Some of you might have experienced this. Maybe you were in school and, and you had a bunch of friends and they had, they had a normal mom and dad. Which, by the way, what is that, right? But they were like pretty normal. Like the mom, mom of the class, parties, always there. Dad was like there for every play, there for the game, picking them up. Like, like they were like the all-American family. And meanwhile, your family was jacked. Maybe your mom was like a single mom and, you know, she did the best that she could, but she wasn't really stressed. And maybe she was even, you know, constantly wheeling guys in and out of your life. And so you never really got close. And maybe she got married a few times and had a stepdad. And then maybe you had a dad that just was never there. Like literally, you, he had you, he peaced out. And for your entire life, you've wondered, you know, what's wrong with you? Why didn't he stay with you? And to the point where even now it affects you, like it affects the way you parent. It affects the way you are to your spouse, and it affects the way you are at your job. And some of you have asked God, God, why did that, why did that happen? Here's what I know. Oftentimes when you have a perfect life like that, it's perfect, but situation seems perfect. Mom and dad are whole. Like, you don't see a lot of things that are in the real world because, because your life is kind of all right. But maybe you were the type of kid that, that saw a lot of wrong. And so then when you got to school, like where most was right like when they got there they never saw anybody hurting they never saw anybody sitting by themselves they never saw anybody getting made fun of because like that's just not the world they lived in but you did because your heart was tender and it was compassionate because of the life that you had been through and god that age was developing in you compassion which is what he needs to use your life and some of you have always wondered god why did you do that to me and god is saying because i want to do this through you that the pain that you went through was actually going to be used for the purpose that I use you for. I, I, I love this verse that, that Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 12. He says, he says don't repay evil, uh, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in Some of you saying, it's not possible. I tried. <laughs> do not take revenge. But dear friends, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something. You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'll just give you, as we move from this point, an example from my own life. Last week I had the opportunity uh, to go back to my, my church I grew up in and preach. First time in, in 10 years. Mom's moving to a different position. My parents have been there for, for 37 years, so most of my life, which is such a, a gift to me. Most pastors' kids, their parents move from church to church every five years, and so they kind of spend their life on the move. But for me, Boyertown is my home, and so I want to make Boyer, make I'm allowed to make fun of Boyertown because it's my, my home, and so I spent my, my whole life there, went back and preached. And here's the thing about church that's kind of weird, is church is like a big, a big inbred family. And what that means is people just skip around from church to church to church. And they assume it's you don't take it personal. And the truth is, sometimes you do take it personal. Sometimes you make it a bigger deal than it's supposed to be. And so I knew I was going back there. And over the last year, and just kind of in principle in general, like people just go back and forth to churches. And, oh, hey, you used to go to Morningstar, cool. And this church and that church, okay, you're here for a couple of weeks. We'll see you never again, right? And so, like, that's kind of what happens. And so I knew there was going to be people there, specifically one person there that I was significantly close with for 10 years of this church that I was going to have to see because I knew he went there and I hadn't talked to him. In fact, a few times he tried to text me and I was, and I was very short and I wanted to text, who's this? You're dead to me, right? 
I didn't. I texted him back in a very short way, made no attempt to, to have any kind of peace. And then my dad, my dad specifically asked me to come preach. And the first thing I thought is, oh, no, I don't want to go there. Because I'm going to have to preach, and I'm going to look out, and I'm going to, I'm going to see them, and I'm not going to be able to preach on anything because I'm going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to have to, so God, I can't preach on this, and I can't do this. And so we're going to preach on grace, right? <laughs> so first service, you know, preached. It was fine. It was a, it's an older Pentecostal uh, a church, and what I mean is there's a lot of people there. They're very interested. It's fun to preach to them because they say amen and like, oh, mm-hmm, like stuff like that. You're like, yeah. You come over to Journey Church and rub shoulders with a couple of those people. And so second service came, and I was like, okay, God, I was trying to prepare myself. I'm like, he's going he's to be there. Uh, if he sits where he used to sit at Journey, he's going to be at the left side, and that's like where I, I like to go. That's like my better side. I like to go left, and I spend a lot of time on the left side of the, of the, of the thing, and I'm, I'm going to look over and see him. And so worship's going on. I'm getting ready to go up. I, I take one look around. You ever take a look? Take a look around, and I see them. I see him out of the corner of my eye, and I think, oh, God. If you could just rapture right now. <laughs> it didn't happen. I had to get up and preach second service. Went up, preached second service. Made eye contact with them when I was preaching. In my God. At the end of service, I just wanted to get out of there because I didn't want to face it. and I didn't want to make peace. And I didn't want to do those things. And he comes walking up to me. And I see him coming. And I'm like, here we go. Either we're hugging or we're punching. One of the other things <laughs> happening. He gives me a hug, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm not a hugger, so don't be trying to do this. And I hug him back, and I can just feel in the moment, I can feel a, why have you been such a jerk and not been at peace for the last year, you idiot? And we hugged, and we talked just like we used to talk when he was at, at my church, and I felt in the moment, you need to stop holding on to stuff. You need to live, you need to live at peace with people. If he was in your life for a season, he's not here any, anymore, then you just deal with that and move on and you thank God for the season that, that he allowed him to be in your life and the same principle with you don't live at peace with the people in your life. Some of you, it's a conversation you need to have with the parent that you haven't talked to for years, and you say, you don't know the wrong that they've done to me and how much they hurt me, and it's unforgivable. Listen, you've been forgiven much, so you have to forgive others. It's not about them. It's really about you not being held back by the things that they've done and the bitterness and the anger that you have. Some of you, it's a best friend. You're like, you got in a fight years ago. Like, I'm never talking to you again. You're Italian. And once you're dead to me, you're all the way dead to me. I had a grandma like that. She had siblings and relatives. She hadn't talked to her for like 70 years. I'm like, what's wrong? She's dead to me. I'm like, you're 95 years old. You're not a gangster anymore, grandma. Make things right. Working in your, you know, speaking stuff at peace with people, live at peace with your past. And then number, number three, I think Paul would have said, you got to make peace with your position, with, with your position. I tried to figure out why have, we have such a difficult time with our life. If, if, if time is a gift and is good, then why do we have such a difficult time dealing with different seasons in our life, different positions in our life? And I started to think about it. And the reason is, is because there was a day and age where like when you watch TV, you had to just watch what was on. And something's changed in our day. Awesome. You can stream. You can fast forward. You can go to on demand. And you can click a show. And sometimes the show will say, you know, fast forward. And other options like that are not currently available. And you can say, forget that I'll come back next week when it's available. Our series. You can like go to a show and you can watch an entire show and we call it binge watching and, and, and fast forward and get to the end parts. Like in my day and age, there was a show and at the end of the season, there was the finale. You remember that? Some of you grew up in the 90s. We had TGIF. Matters came on. They're like, you know, Steve Urkel's going to do this. At the end of this episode, you had to watch the entire season, all the commercials to get to the end, right? Friends was like that. Ross and Rachel are going to end up together. There was no fast forward. Let's just figure it out. Seven years of my life. And I found out that because we get to do that with TV, we oftentimes want to do that with our lives. We want, we, want, we, want to, we want to fast forward. We want to binge watch. We want to get to the good parts. When it feels difficult, when it feels something, when it feels like, like God's not moving fast enough, we just want to fast forward and get to where God's doing what he promised that he would, would do. But that's not how life works. Life works a lot like 80s TV. There's building, there's anticipation. There's twist. 
There's days when you feel like God forgot you, and those, then those days you got to trust even more that God's got it. There's things that happen to you that you feel like it's a surprise, like it kind of caught you off guard, but God would say, nothing is a surprise to me. I'm the author of your faith that I have written out every page of your story. You just need to keep turning. I think Paul was here in this situation. He's done what God has called him to do, and now he's in prison for it. It got worse. I have a hard time in those situations in my life when it's like, God, I... I started the church, I moved to Pennsylvania, I did the things that I was supposed to do, and God, you're not doing your end of the bargain. So I'm single, God, you promised me that you don't want me to be alone. In fact, it says that you get all biblical in Genesis, it's not good for a man to be alone, and I've been alone. You're taking too long. God, you talk about promotion, and God, you talk about direction, and opportunities, and God, it feels like you've forgotten me. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He starts the book off like this. Because he wants his listeners to know that he's not only at peace with his people, and he's not only at peace with his past, but he's also at peace with the position. This is what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, I'm in jail, has actually served to advance the gospel. That's, that's powerful stuff. And then he says this. As a result, it has become clear throughout the everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Here's what most of us would have done. Most of us would have cried and said, God, why am I chained? You know what Paul, the preacher does? I got a captive audience. This, this prison guard is going to be chained to me for hours upon hours, and then somebody else is going to be chained. Going to be chained. Guess what that means? Opportunity. I'm going to make sure every guard that comes in here knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ever said that in a situation? Instead of wondering why you're suffering, saying, hey, this is when most people understand the goodness of Jesus Christ, when, I st- when I'm suffering, even when I'm going through difficult situations that I still show up to praise him and give to him and sacrifice for him because I trust him, that speaks volumes to this world. It continues to go and it says everyone else in chains for that Christ. And because of my chains, brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They say, not only am I affecting the guards, but the church is watching me. And they're getting more boldness because of my boldness in this prison. He says, I need to help you understand. I'm at peace with my past. I'm straining towards my future with my past. I'm not only at peace with, with my people. I'm straining. If they're not with me, I'm going to be okay because God's going to be with me. But I'm okay with where I'm at right now. I fully trust in my God. I fully believe that his hands are upon me, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. You know why Paul writes that? Because there's another passage in, in the book of Romans where he says, man, I've been convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. See, I think so many times in this area, we have a hard time because we're not been convinced of that. We think that God loves us better when we do good, when we perform. We think his attention is on us when we give him attention. But the Bible says the opposite. That when you run, he runs and pursues you. That when you fail him, that he never fails you. That when you're faithless, that he is always faithful. That when you try to leave, that God's love will never leave you nor forsake you. That Paul was convinced. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So I make peace with my position. I make peace with the people who have hurt me, and I make peace with, with my past all over this place. And I wonder if that's you as we close today. I wonder if you're the person who is allowing present opportunities to be stolen from you because of past obstacles. I wish you would understand the extent of God's love for you today. He loves you more than you can imagine. He's never stopped loving you. He'll never stop loving you. He's never stopped seeking you. Stop seeking you. So I'm just encourage you in this moment, just close your eyes for a second and just bow your heads as we kind of all stand in this holy moment at Journey Church at the end of this service. You see, we could preach for hours and tell stories for hours and share scripture for hours, but the truth is only the presence of God changes people's lives forever. And, and he's here in a powerful way. 
And the Bible says that he is drawing himself. Listen, the only way to have your past forgiven is through the one who can heal it. His name is Jesus. The only way to forgive those that have hurt you is to meet the forgiver. The only way to walk in peace and not anxiety and fear is to meet the one who gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. His name is Jesus. Everything that you've been missing. See, we all wander on this earth. We all search. We all long. We all want to be validated. We all want to be known. We all want to be loved. And the only one who does that fully is Jesus Christ. Man will let you down. Loved ones will let you down. You will expect things from them that only Jesus can give you. And here's the thing, friend. He's here right now. I can tell you that he saved me and he set me free. And I would say the same thing that Paul says. I don't deserve it. But it was by grace that he set me free. So I can't boast about it. And if I get excited about something, I'm going to get excited for me. And that same God wants to do that for you. He died on a cross for your sins. That's what scripture says. And he rose from the dead on three days later. When he died on the cross, he paid for your sins. When he rose in glory, he defeated And the Bible said a few weeks later, he ascended to heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. That's a place of authority. And it tells us very specifically that he intercedes for us. I mean, he constantly is crying out for you. I believe by name. Son, daughter, come home. Stop wandering. Stop hurting. Stop being filled with shame. Your past can be forgiven. You can be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You can have peace and mercy and grace. It's found in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in this moment that the old creation is dead and that a new man a new woman they come to life of the cross that's the power of the resurrection that's the power that is available right here some of you might say what do I do in that how do I respond to God do I clean myself up do I start to go to church do I read the Bible do I go to some class what do you want me to do God wants you to do nothing he wants you he wants you right now I want you to give him your life. We often say this at church as we get ready to close is, is it's like a toddler who wants his father or mother. And what do they do? They can't even talk. Maybe they, they can't even communicate verbally, but they know they love their parent and they know they need their parent. And what do they do? They raise their hand. They put their hands up and the parent knows without the toddler saying. You see, God's hands are outstretched to you right now. In the same way that that young kid, that young boy, that young girl responds to their earthly parent, that's the same way that you respond to God. He knows your heart, desperation. He knows your need. He has a gift of salvation. It's a free gift so that no one can boast. He saved you at your lowest, at your most broken, at your most despicable, in your most embarrassing situations, in the situations where you feel the most. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's reached his hands out to you. And the question is, will you reach back? That's called free will. And it's not God's will that any should perish. It's free will to choose him because love needs to be chosen. He loves you more than you can imagine, and he chose you. The question is, will you choose him back today? Will you receive him as your Lord and your Savior? Will you put your hands towards heaven? And so what we do at this church is courage with faith. Nobody's looking around. They got their own crap to deal with. But maybe you need to get your life right with, with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you, would, if you would repent and confess that you would be saved. Jesus, I need a relationship. There's somebody standing at every campus, just like I am right now, in every room. And they're waiting for you to respond. And I would love to know here in Phoenixville that you responded. And so what I ask you to do, if that's you, friend, side to side, front to back, young to old, church been here for months, never been here before, but today is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day the Lord has chosen. Today is the day that you need to get your life right with Jesus Christ.
You need to invite him into your life. That's you all over our houses. Just like a toddler reaches. Why don't you just put your hand towards heaven and say, here I am, Heavenly Father. I want you to come into my life. I want to ask you to be the Lord and my Savior. If that's you in Phoenix, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air. I see one hand right here. Is there anybody else say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need to get my, my past right with, with God. I need to get my, my past right with God. I need to get my, my situation. I need to get peace in my position. Lord, I want to forgive those that have hurt me. Let that go here. Is there anybody else that, hey, Pastor, that's me in Phoenixville. We're going to continue to wait here for people to respond at our other campuses, and then we're going to pray together as we get ready to close. Let's begin to pray. Jesus, thank you as people continue to respond. Lord, thank you for my friends in this room this region and Lord the reason I call them my friends is because I know how much you love them I know how much you care about them I know what you want to do in and through their life and so today is a day of of new beginnings Lord it's a day of freedom it's a day of grace and of and of hope and we find that through the cross the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that that moment 2,000 years ago is changing everything about our lives right now it will continue to change us from this day forward. The Bible says that when we receive you, life and life to the full. That not only do we live a life filled with purpose, but Lord, you give us the promise of eternity, Lord. That Lord, when we, get, when we take our last breath here on this earth, that the promise is we will take our next breath with you in heaven. Not because we're good people, but people. Lord, I pray that your love would just be real. Lord, it's your love that changes people. It's your love that encourages people. It's your love that convicts people. It's your love that we need to understand because when we understand your love, we'll begin to When we begin to trust you, we'll begin to obey you. And when we begin to obey you, Lord, what you can do in our life is immeasurable. Your plan is greater than anything we can imagine. Your purposes for us are higher than our own, Lord. That we can place our hand, our life in your hands and we can trust you fully. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for those that continue to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for healing past. Thank you for changing lives. In Jesus' name, that we pray. One more time, would you shout amen? Come on, let's clap together.